he was unconscious outside the room. But why did a room in a random town in the countryside of Italy command this amount of reverence and power? Well, the leader who was born in that room was none other than the great Augustus Caesar. But how did Augustus earn this godlike reverence? It certainly wasn't because he was a high-born nobleman. Like I said, his birthplace was in a relatively insignificant provincial town outside of Rome. Nonetheless, he was still able to pull Rome out of a cycle of endless civil wars and bloodletting, bringing it into a new age of prosperity. Augustus was able to do this through finding and seizing opportunities. His life would model the transformation the Republic was about to go through, from ruthless and bloody to peaceful and magnificent. In fact, Augustus would say he found Rome a city of brick and left it a city of marble. But how was Augustus able to pull Rome away from the brink of destruction to a new age of prosperity? Find out today on History's Greatest Leaders. Episode 1, Octavian the Opportunist. What is up, everyone, and welcome to Episode 1 of History's Greatest Leaders, a podcast where we dive into leaders' lives to see what made them such effective leaders. Today's subject is the colossal Augustus Caesar. Augustus embodied the idea that leaders are opportunist. In his rise to the top, he would seize every opportunity he could. But before the great Augustus was born, Rome was a mess. It had just gone through two terrible civil wars where thousands of Romans' blood was spilled. The Republic was bursting at the seams, and it needed a strong leader to pull it into a new era. That leader would be Augustus. But at this time, he was known as Octavian. Now we'll be calling him Octavian for the rest of the show. But our story begins when Julius Caesar, Octavian's uncle, was assassinated. If you'd like to hear about the period before this and the civil wars before it, I highly recommend Dan Carlin's Death Throes of the Republic. Anyways, Octavian was in the Greek town of Apollonia, waiting to set out with Julius on his campaign east. Suddenly, a messenger from Rome arrived. The messenger told Octavian that his great-uncle, Julius Caesar, had been murdered in cold blood. Octavian felt broken. In recent years, his great-uncle and Octavian had become extremely close. Julius found Octavian a bright and promising young man, but now the relationship was severed because of the assassin's blade. Immediately, Philippus, his stepdad, and Attia, his mother, urged Octavian to stay out of the mess for fear for his life. On the other hand, his friends told him to go to Caesar's army outside of Rome and command them to avenge Julius's death. Octavian found himself at a crossroads. He could either enter the dangerous arena of Roman politics or remain safe as a private citizen. 
but he decided to wait for more information before choosing a path, and he decided to head back to his family in Rome. Fate, though, had another plan for young Octavian. For on his way home, another messenger came, this time with life-altering news. Julius Caesar had named Octavian his son in his will. Anthony Everett, in his book Augustus, puts it a great way. Quote, It was in real life the outsider-insider story of fairy tale and childish fantasy, a shepherd's son who turns out to be of royal blood. End quote. Octavian had won the equivalent of the ancient lottery. And just like how lottery winners today are in danger if their names are released in public, Octavian's winnings came with danger in the unknown. Once again, Philippus begged Octavian not to take up Julius's name. But Octavian realized the opportunity in front of him. And in the face of danger and the unknown, he donned the new name, Gaius Julius Caesar Octavinius. By seizing this opportunity, he took the first step in becoming one of Rome's greatest leaders. In fact, Nicholas of Damascus writes of Octavian during this time, quote, He already had his mind on great things, and he was full of confidence. He therefore took upon himself the toil and danger and the enmity of men whom he did not care to please. End quote. Octavian already had dreams of Roman power at this point, and he was prepared to take on the dangers and the risks that came with chasing Roman power. And this is where we start to see one of Octavian's strongest leadership qualities, the ability to seize opportunity. He saw the opportunity to take up Caesar's name, and even through the risk of death, he seized that opportunity. He could have easily taken the safe route and fallen into obscurity, but he had great plans for the Roman people. Octavian had chosen the path of opportunity, and the first roadblock he would encounter on this path was Mark Antony. Antony was Julius Caesar's right-hand man before he was assassinated. And currently, Antony controlled the levers of power in Rome. But not for long, because Octavian teamed up with Cicero, who was a renowned member of the Senate for his orator skills, and the Optimates, who were supporters of Republican ideals. Together, they applied political pressure on Antony. And with Antony's enemies coming from all sides and his consulship ending, he sought to take over the province of Cisalpine Gaul. From Cisalpine Gaul, he was a few marching days from Rome, so if anything not in his political interest happened, he could easily march down and stop it. There is one issue with Mark Antony's plan, though. Decimus Brutus was currently governor of Cisalpine Gaul, and Decimus Brutus was not planning on giving up his post. So Antony declared him an assassin of Caesar and marched to Gaul to fight him. In a short period of time, Decimus found himself besieged by Antony and Mutina. And in response to the siege, the Senate commissioned two new consuls, Hertius and Pansa, to take care of Antony. And while all this was going on, Octavian had been busy recruiting his father's legions, and had even convinced two legions to leave Antony's army. 
and the Senate, seeing the legions under Octavian's command, they decided to make Octavian a propraetor, whose job essentially was to help the consuls by leading an additional army. The clash between Antony and the consuls would be a bloody one. It consisted of two battles, the first of which occurred while Pansa was bringing up his legions to reinforce Octavian and Hertius. Antony decided it would be wise to ambush these green, untested soldiers. In the fighting, Antony decimated the reinforcements, and Panza was wounded in the fighting. He would later die of that wound. Antony's ambush seemed to be a great success, until Hertius came around to save the day. Hertius turned what could have been a great victory for Antony into a devastating defeat. Antony would limp back to his camp to lick his wounds. But Antony wasn't the only one who suffered defeat that day, for Octavian's character suffered one as well. While Octavian's legions were bleeding, he was protecting his camp. A useful job, but it also showed his cowardice in the eyes of the Romans. In addition, later on, Antony would accuse Octavian of running away from the battle, saying, quote, he did not reappear until the next day, having lost his horse and his purple general's cloak. End quote. If what Antony said was true, losing his purple general's cloak was a major dishonor. While we don't know for certain what happened that day, Octavian was beginning to develop a stigma of being a coward. In the next battle, Hertius decided to storm Antony's camp. In this battle, Octavian would win some of his character back. To start the battle, Hertius pushed into Antony's camp, but Hertius was thrust down and killed, and Octavian, seeing his fellow commander go down, blitzed into the fighting to get Hertius. Octavian will pull the consul out of the chaos, even though it was too late. In addition, Suetonius writes about Octavian during the battle. Quote, In the thick of the fight, when the eagle-bearer of his legion was sorely wounded, he shouldered the eagle and carried it for some time. End quote. This was a massive deal. The standard-bearer in a legion was one of the most important positions. The standard represented the legion's honor, and if lost, would be a massive disgrace. But Octavian, recognizing that his and his men's honor was at stake, shouldered the weight of their honor. Overall, the battle was a massive success for Octavian. Antony was defeated and fled, and Octavian had gotten some incredible battle experience. But more importantly, Hertius, Panza, and Antony were out of the contention for Roman power. After the battle, the Senate demanded that the deceased consuls, Hertius and Panza, legions were turned over to Decimus. But again, Octavian, recognizing the opportunity in front of him, refused their demands. For the time being, Octavian was one of the most powerful men in the Roman world. And again, seeing the opportunity of two vacant consul seats, he marched on Rome to claim one of them. The Senate was powerless. Begrudgingly, they gave Octavian his first consulship at the young age of 20. He was the youngest consul in the Republic's history. Once again, Octavian had seized a moment and was one step closer to bringing Rome to greatness.
But while Octavian was seizing power in Rome, Antony teamed up with Governor Marcus Lepidus. Lepidus was in charge of what is now modern-day Spain, and had a considerable number of legions under him, and like all Romans in politics, wanted in on the struggle for Roman power. So Lepidus teamed up with Antony. Antony was back in full force. But Octavian, with consular power in his hands, he turned his gaze back upon Antony. The Senate and Cicero, particularly, who had been condemning Antony in his vicious speeches, hoped Octavian would put an end to Antony's menace once and for all. However, as we have seen, Octavian was an opportunist. Octavian realized that he couldn't face the last of Caesar's assassins alone and made peace with Antony. So together, Antony, Octavian, and Lepidus met outside Mutina, where Antony and Octavian were once enemies. There, they formed the conditions of the Second Triumvirate, which was essentially three powerful men would combine their power to get policies or positions each other wanted. The Triumvirate was formed under the pretense to help stabilize the Republic. The people who the Triumvirate held responsible for this chaos was the last of Julius Caesar's assassins, Brutus and Cassius. Brutus and Cassius were major contributors to the assassination of Julius Caesar. They thought that the city would rejoice in Julius's death, but were shocked when the people rioted. They both would flee to the east, and while all the drama between Octavian and Antony was going on, Brutus and Cassius were raising legions. They ended up taking a defensive position in the town of Philippi. Antony and Octavian responded by bringing their 19 legions to outside Philippi. The following battle was one of madness. Octavian's camp was overrun by Brutus and Cassius, and Cassius's camp was overrun by Antony. In addition, there had been little rain in the area, so the 150,000 or so legionaries kicked up an insane amount of dust impairing everyone involves vision. Unfortunately, Cassius fell prey to this fog of war. He knew that Antony had taken his camp, but did not know if Brutus had held his side of the line. Then thinking that all was lost and Brutus had been pushed back, ordered his armor bearer to plunge his sword into Cassius. There's another side of the story that said Cassius having received a message that Brutus had gotten into Octavian's camp, still committed suicide. While we don't know for sure what happened, one of the last great generals of the Roman Republic was gone. Brutus, bloodied from the first encounter, pulled back into the safe defensive positions inside Philippi. Antony and Octavian's supplies were running thin, so Brutus, like any good general, did not force the next encounter. However, his soldiers were itching for a fight. Accusations of Brutus dishonoring them swirled throughout the camp. Appian writes of the situation in the camp. Quote, Why does our general put this stigma on us? How have we offended lately? We who conquered the enemy and put him to flight. We who slaughtered those who opposed us and took their camp. End quote. Eventually, 
Brutus caved into their demands for a melee. Unwillingly, he led his men outside the gates of Philippi to fight the half-starved triumvirate legions. He is supposed to have said, quote, You have chosen to fight. You have forced me to battle when I could conquer otherwise. Do not falsify my hopes or your own. You have the advantage of the higher ground and everything safe in your rear. The enemy's position is one of peril because he lies between you and famine. End quote. Here we see Brutus starting to push the blame for whatever happened on his soldiers' demand for a fight. Brutus could have easily won through starving out the enemy, but his soldiers were confident and craved glory. On the other side of things, Antony and Octavian's camp was on the brink of starvation. Their supply lines were running short, and their only hope of survival was a decisive victory in the field against Brutus. So they must have been pretty happy when Brutus lined up for battle. They were quoted as saying before the battle, quote, We have found the enemy. We have before us those whom we sought to catch outside their fortifications. Let none of you shame his own challenge or prove unequal to his own threat. Let no one prefer hunger, that unmanageable and distressing evil, to the walls and the bodies of the enemy, which yield to bravery, to the sword, to despair. Our situation at this moment is so pressing that nothing can be postponed till tomorrow. But this very day must decide for us either a complete victory or an honorable death. End quote. The battle was do or die for the triumvirate. Starve or die honorably. Those were the two options. Appian describes the carnage that followed that speech. Quote, they had little need of arrows, stones, or javelins, which are customary in war, for they did not resort to the usual maneuvers and tactics of battles. But, coming close combat with naked swords, they slew and were slain, seeking to break each other's ranks. End quote. The battle was a pure slog. There were two interesting dynamics compelling each side. On the triumvirate side, they were fighting for their lives. They were almost out of supplies, and there would be no other battle if they lost. On Brutus' side, they were fighting for their honor and glory. But slowly, like a ravenous wolf nearing starvation, Octavian's line dug their heels in and slowly pushed Brutus's line into retreat. Brutus had lost. And like Cassius, he ordered one of his men to kill him. The triumvirate was victorious. Through Octavian's ability to seize the opportunity of taking Julius's name, the opportunity of taking a consulship, and finally, the opportunity to team up with Antony and Lepidus, Julius Caesar was finally avenged, and Rome was at peace once again. In a short period of time, Octavian went from a 19-year-old kid from a small provincial town outside of Rome 
to one of the most powerful men in Rome by the time he was 21. Octavian had proved to be a strong leader by recognizing the opportunities in front of him and taking calculated risks to seize those opportunities. If he hadn't taken up Julius's name, who knows what the rest of Roman history would have looked like. If he didn't march to Rome to claim his consulship, his political legitimacy wouldn't have held much weight. And finally, if he didn't join forces with his rival Antony, he wouldn't have stood a chance against Brutus and Cassius. Without seizing these opportunities, his journey to becoming one of the best leaders Rome ever saw would have ended abruptly. As leaders, it is so important for us to realize the opportunities in front of us. You must be proactive in finding the opportunities. The Leadership Challenge states, quote, Research clearly shows that managers who rate high in proactivity are assessed by their immediate managers as more effective leaders. End quote. Octavian was a great example of how to be proactive. He was 19 when he took up Caesar's name. At the age of 19, there's no way he could have known every intricacy of Roman politics. But he was still proactive in taking the opportunity and was proactive in learning from Caesar's old advisors. From then on, he was constantly looking for opportunities to improve himself and his position. Octavian craved opportunity. More importantly, they don't have to be grand opportunities like that you're the heir to the most powerful person in the world. It can be something as simple as finding an efficiency or taking a job that would force you out of your comfort zone. I know a simple opportunity I seize every day is going to the gym or going for a run. It gets my mind in a good place and puts me in a position where I'm operating at my best. Through seizing opportunities, you will grow personally and help grow your team. So I challenge you all this week to go out and find the opportunities around you because great things will happen.